Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is usually not longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. You've reached quite some impressive milestones recently. Uh, you know, so last last episode we talked about your massive update to Pedometer Plus Plus, and then in the meantime, you announced that Widget Smith has had a hundred million downloads. Yes, <laughs> that's like, so. First of all, congratulations on you know a massive scale because that's yeah. awesome. And <laughs> thank you. And you've you know you have. You have earned every bit of your success, and and I'm I'm so happy for you. Um, and second of all, that is a scale that I have never experienced, um, nothing even close to that. And so I'm wondering, like, how, what, how that feels, how that affects some of the things you do. And you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about this week is specifically like how you deal with you know, support email, feedback, you know, that kind of stuff, like the the various support and feedback channels. When you have a scale that big, I mean, 100 million downloads, that ends up being quite some number of active users, quite some number of active installations, quite some number of even just crash reports that must be coming in, yeah. all the different weird edge case situations that you're that you have to run in. I might have like, one user of Overcast in a particular odd combination of conditions that the app is running in, whereas you might have a thousand, you know, like, <laughs> so I'm really curious to know, like, how do all of your processes have to scale? Because I would imagine there are not many hundred million download apps that are run by one person. I, I think that's going to be a very, very small number. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, and, and so this is, this is a problem that most most large apps will would have to handle differently because they have larger staffs and they they might you know make different choices and most small developers wouldn't have this problem necessarily at your scale but the reason i want to ask is because even though i think it's fairly unlikely that i or or, or any given listener out there um would ever have this problem there's a lot of value that we can get from learning how you do things because if you get you know, 100 emails on a topic and I get 10, well, I still would love to get none. <laughs> you know, sure. so like even, you know, whatever strategies you're using still apply even to much smaller apps. It, to some degree, you just have like a larger testing pool. And you, so you're just getting like better input and better signal and better data. But we can still learn a lot of those lessons and apply them to our apps as well. So first of all, you know, again, congratulations. That's awesome. And second of all, I don't know, where do you want to start here? Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, I think probably the best place to start is to think of, is for A, is just like things. And I think it's, it's one of these things where it's a number that I feel some responsibility for, but not total responsibility for that. Like Widget Smith itself is a very specific situation that caught a particular moment. And while, you know, it's, it's, this is two and a half years on that it's not just, you know, it is still doing well, but it's, and then I feel like more responsible for the last two and a half years than I do for the first, like, 25 days where it was like, oh, you know, this whole other thing. But I think what it, the, the lesson that that has taught me that I think has been kind of more useful and more constructive is the sense that, A, I think something that I think is really cool is I think when it first happened, when Widget Smith, you know, had its big, you know, moment when iOS 14 launched and it was going places, I definitely set, like had this place where I was like, is this something that an indie developer can still do? 
Like it, it, like I had no reference frame for what this would look like, for how this would go, for if this was even possible. Like I had no idea, you know, I, at, at, in the early days when it, it, you know, when it was, you know, mi- like millions of downloads a day and you're starting to have this like, I, it does, like it just doesn't compute. I, I've never dealt with anything like this. And I'm just, you know, a person I had a couple of people, you know, like uh, helping me with, with help desk at that point. But it was, you know, kind of this like, well, what do I even you know, where does this go? And I think, I think the, the, the broader lesson that I think I'm really sort of pleased about is, you know, two and a half years on from that is, I think it is very viable to do, you know, like sort of the indie app developer concept that, you know, we talk about on this show that I think you and I are both very proud to kind of be like the label that we apply to ourselves, that we're, you know, we're indie app developers. And in our case, that means, you know, we're like, we're one programmer working on, you know, on an app, like, can that scale to, a big, you know, sort of a big, pro- a big project in terms of user base. And it's like, you know, sort of, I've ev- at least one, you know, sort of bit of evidence to say, yes, it does. Like that this isn't the kind of thing that if you decide to go down the indie path, you're cutting yourself off from, you know, sort of broader popularity because, you know, in order, in order to do that, you have to be a big company with lots of people and lots of funding and infrastructure and a marketing team and a support team and a QA team and, you know, teams all around. It's like it, you don't, it's easier in some ways, maybe if you have those things, but that's not essential, that that's a choice that you could choose to make. And you know, if at this point I had, you know, if two and a half years ago I had decided that I wanted to go down that road, I definitely could have. You know, I could have hired a team of engineers. I could have hired, a, you know, support staff, you know, operations people, all kinds of things, marketing. Like I could have gone down that road. Um, but for me, I chose not to. And I chose not to uh, largely because I like the indie lifestyle. I like that I'm in control of my time and my attention and where I want to work and what I want to do. Um, I have control over that. And even if I was the, you know, the boss of a bigger company, I'm, you know, it's like if I, as soon as you're the boss of other people and you're responsible for them, suddenly that choice becomes kind of lessened and you have things that are, you know, other constraints and other things that you have to optimize for rather than, you know, in some ways there's a certain selfishness about the indie developer. Uh, lifestyle in a positive sense, that it's the positive kind of selfishness that I'm responsible for myself and my family. And I can make choices that, you know, are best for us rather than being best for, you know, a large group of people. And so I think the first thing I think is just uh, the, and, and, you know, I struggled a little bit with whether I should talk about, you know, which is Smith reaching this milestone. Um, and for, you know, <laughs> a variety of kind of, you know, sort of, I don't want to be boastful or kind of come across in that way. Like that's, that's not my style, but I think that the main thing that ultimately like was, I think I'm very both grateful for it. And also I think as a press of a proud indie developer, I wanted to say this is possible that if you, as a, you know, if you're a developer who is trying to go down this road, you know, I want you to have in your mind that, you know, a hundred million is kind of the outside of what this looks like rather than it being, you know, a million um, like having a big, broad view on what is possible, I think is a helpful, motivating, hopefully encouraging thing. And so that's why I wanted to kind of, you know, sort of put that out there. But I think it has definitely been a journey in then understanding, well, okay, so the scale, you know, is something that is, is sort of a reality, but what do I need to change about my workflow and mindset to kind of make that viable? Because yes, like the, the way that I ran my business you know, three years ago before this happened, didn't 
wouldn't have really scaled to the kind of widget smith level that I'm working at now because, you know, just the, the stakes were so much lower, the volume was so much lower. Any kind of in here, because I think what happens with this kind of volume is any inefficiency or kind of, you know, issue with your, with your workflow or system kind of just gets magnified. Like, you know, if the good things get magnified, the bad things get magnified. And you kind of have to then realize, okay, so I, this is not going to scale. I need to do something different. You know, I can't expect to respond to every person who emails me and, you know, do a couple back and forth with them. That's just not going to work. It's, it's, you know, it's just, the the volume of you know time in in a day that that would take would be astronomical um and just um, you know I'm not even sure productive but I think what you end up with is a lot of these situations where anything that was kind of a one to one or kind of a that kind of a scenario very quickly becomes it has to be a many to one it has to be kind of a find ways to apply leverage into your you know into whatever you're doing so that it can scale so that it isn't going to take a lot of time so that it is you can do you know small bits of work that uh, can can kind of multiply up and you know i think i can talk through a variety of those but i think at its fundamental part it's that sense that you know, w- w- if you are planning for scale in that way, like you just have everything, everything you do has to be efficient and you have to kind of let go of some amount of control and sort of high touch that you uh, may be able to just sort of do and, you know, do in a sustainable way uh, at a lower scale. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because like, I mean, if you think like ev- almost every part of the process you'd have to kind of consider that like you know when, when i look at stuff I, I think of like you know first of all the product development that's that alone it's like if i had you know that large of a user base and i was by myself i would i would be a, a lot more hesitant to touch anything yeah you know, like, like i i would be so scared to change any of the code to to do anything you know s- server side you know and and fortunately so your your setup is you know, you, you know, none of you, like, you know, I, I think Padmer Plus Plus is also pretty big. Um, and of course, Widget Smith is like the biggest and, and neither of these really have meaningful server side components, right? Yes. And, and I think that is definitely helpful in that regard that like, I'm in, if, if at this kind of scale, I intentionally don't do any feature that would require a meaningful server component because scaling that it's like, is, you know, I'm benefiting from the fact that any new user brings with them the hardware necessary to support their use. Like, yeah. you know, it, it, it scales linearly with the number of users because, you know, oh, oh, new user. Well, I have a new iPhone. And like, it's, it's almost like I had this data center that every time someone logs in, you know, a new computer gets plugged in. And so I don't have to worry about that kind of scaling and, dealing with that in a way that as soon as you start to centralize anything, you know, it suddenly becomes, you know, a giant problem. And like the only server side component that I have is some basic, very basic ana- analytics stuff that I keep just to have a sense of what's going on inside the apps. And even with those, like I even just made the decision early on that the, I only have the app report analytics to the app or to the server um you know it's like i have a little random number generator and it's like it only re- reports the analytics at you know one percent of the time because one percent of a large number is just as representative as long as it's a random sample um and it's like so even there like i'm running it on this tiny little you know server that doesn't even matter because i just scaled that and if like if that became too much for that server i would just change it to like one thousandth of the you know of, of the users or whatever um 
because it's like in all these ways, like I can just scale things down. But yeah, it's like the number one rule if you want an app that is going to scale from a kind of a broad perspective, it's like don't don't anything that touches a server is a bad idea because it's just going to, you know, sort of be you that doesn't scale cheaply. It does, you know, it is possible to scale. It like sure I'm sure doesn't. <laughs> it's like Amazon Web Services would love to to take take all your money, but. Uh, it's like you know, as soon as you have this per user cost, then that scales literally. It's like it's a that, that that's a that's a, that's something that I, I avoid as wherever I possibly can and intentionally. Like anytime I have a feature that could have a users has a have a server component, it's like you know maybe not. Maybe I'll just skip that feature and do everything I can to do it you know locally on the device. And if I can do it locally on the device, great. If not, I just you know move on and leave that as an opportunity for someone else. That is so. So wise, <laughs> painfully, painfully wise. Uh, we are brought to you this episode by Indeed. You know, if you don't want to be a one-person shop anymore, well, what's better than finding quality job candidates? Finding them instantly. For a powerful hiring partner, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So you don't have to spend hours on multiple job sites looking for people with just the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Instant Match really is incredible. So sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, as we know, (laughs) you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com slash under the radar to start hiring now. That's Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash under the radar. Indeed.com slash under the radar. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. So I think, too, the reality of this kind of approach is then to start to think of, like, other areas where you could introduce efficiency or you could kind of create these sort of multiplying leverage effects. And and I think one that uh, I found very helpful with this – with the last pedometer update, kind of like changing from Widgetsmith into that, is – and which is a lesson I learned from Widget Smith, but it's something that I've, you know, been in this pedometer plus plus version five update, I've sort of applied and sort of reaped the benefits of it. And I think that's the kind of the broader lesson why this potentially is hopefully a helpful topic for a broader audience is like, you don't have to be at Widget Smith scale for that to be something that's useful is like, I changed the way that I do support to kind of have this kind of like funnel shape to it. Um, and this is something I learned from Widget Smith was that People, you know, I, I want to reduce the number of people who email me as much as I can because that's the highest cost. That's the least scalable part of what I do. Um, and so instead, I want to find ways to answer people's questions or deal with their problems before they get to sending me an email, especially because if you've done any amount of customer support via email, it's very often very repetitive and very like there's only a few number of a few actual things that people run into that are just the realities of your app. And so if you can answer those questions, you can hopefully avoid them, you know, 
getting an email, which is both good for me in terms of it's not an email that I have to respond to, but I think it's also better for the user because they get an instantaneous answer to their problem. And so the first thing I did is it's like, wait, I mean, I think we talked about this, you know, a couple of years ago even was like, I started do, doing kind of dynamic, frequently asked questions inside the apps. And this is just as simple as you could imagine. It is for me, I just do it as a website that's just like a simple, basic HTML page that I put on a web server. And anytime, you know, a question is asked more than two or three times, I'll put the answer to it in the FAQs. And I also sort it from, you know, most frequently asked to least frequently asked on there in the hopes that when people open this page, um, that's where uh, you know, they'll see the answer, they'll get their answer, and they'll be able to move on. And I kind of, not, I don't hide the email me link necessarily, but I would say I often put it at the bottom of that list. And so you have to be kind of have looked through the list, at least sort of um, notionally, in order for you to get to the place that you could email me, uh, the intended place that I will expose the email address. Because I think previously I would have like the frequently asked questions link and then right below it in the settings area would be the email me link. And people just click the email me link because sure, why not? Like it just, that was just not the reality. So like putting it behind the frequently asked questions made a big difference in terms of scale too, because it meant that, um, you know, the, it just way more people would actually read it or actually find their answer, you know, in that. And I think, you know, I, I collected the data for my pedometer v- version five update. And it was like in the first six days of the launch, um, I received 259 uh, emails, but I have some very basic analytics and they frequently ask questions and 4,214 people um, got an answer from the FAQs. Like, I don't know necessarily if it solved their problem, but, you know, sort of that's the kind of order of magnitude we're talking about, which is almost like a 20 times, you know, Im- Im- multiplier there. So 20 times the number of people got their answer or got got an answer from the FAQs then had to email me. So like that was a huge win and definitely a great place to start in terms of whatever your current support load is. If you put it behind a frequently asked questions, maybe you could reduce your, you know, your load by 20x, which is amazing. Yeah, that's that would be, you know, game changing for almost anybody. I mean, that's like even, you know, my my support load is, you know, I'm not getting hundreds of emails a day or even necessarily tens of emails a day. Uh, But to have 20 times fewer of them would be significant. (laughs) You know, I I might actually respond to more of them if, if there were fewer of them, you know. Um, but, and this is something like, and I have a little bit of this in Overcast. Like I have, I have the feedback page and that is a dynamically loaded HTML thing shown on a web view. Um, so I can change that server side, but in practice, I don't put much there and I almost never change it after a version's release. Like I basically just say, you know, what's new in this version and that's it. And I, I almost never touch them after that. Um, so I think maybe, maybe you, you are, um, inspiring me to do more with that kind of thing uh, in the app. Maybe maybe do some rearrangement too of like what what I show there and and when and you know how I how I phrase certain things because I, I would love to you know because it isn't just about minimizing email to you. It's also about serving your customers better, you know, because like your customers don't like having to email you. I mean, some some do. Yeah. Some of them get get pleasure out of that, but some of them just want to vent. Uh, but for the most part, like if you can solve somebody's problem in, in eight seconds via looking at an FAQ page instead of having them have to take a couple of minutes out of their day to, to try to email you and then hope for a response and then get all mad when you don't respond. I, I have some experience in this area um, yeah. <laughs> like that's you're serving them better if they could just solve their own problem without emailing you at all it's better for everyone it's better for them and it's better for you so ideally you know step one is 
ideally the app doesn't need support you know ideally you you build and design things in such a way that people don't have questions they can just figure it out next you know next best from that is they can figure it out somehow else in the app like a help or faq thing without having to email you you know and then and then the worst step step of this is they have to email you that's because you know for all the people who email you there are you know multiples of more of them that said ah forget it and just never solve the problem and just you know because they didn't want to email you so they just they just you know dropped it on the floor and and walked away and that you know makes your numbers worse of your retention metrics so ideally you know you you make ways for people to solve this themselves in the app because emailing you is a step that most of most of your customers don't want to take and you don't want them taking it yeah, I think too, it's that sense of, I think there was definitely something helpful in my mindset when I was thinking this through is it's like, rather than, it's like my goal becomes, how can I help most people with, you know, sort of in the best way? Like, I want to get you this answer. And some of these things are like, there are, no matter how well you design an app, there are going to be things that come up because your app has a certain amount of opinion to it that you're making assumptions or making defaults or sort of structuring things in a particular way. And if someone, you know, as soon as you have a user base of any kind of size, you're going to have people with different needs or different preferences or different, you know, kind of uh, backgrounds, other apps that they, you know, what was the last app they used before yours that did something similar? And they're going to kind of have a mental model that is based on those choices and how that was structured. And that's just the reality. And so it's like the other thing that I think I, I found recently is I've been amazed by how more, how, how many more people are able to get that answer, like to be communicated to them from video compared to text. That it, like for me, I'm think, I, I think I come from a, you know, like the way my mind works, I very often prefer to be, you know, sort of, I guess, told rather than shown. Like I would rather read the, you sort of read the manual than watch a video about how to do something. Um, but it, the reality, and this is just like proved you know, in the same way in my data, is I see that so many more people are willing to click on a video that's like, you know, a, a 60 second how to do something to answer a question than would, you know, go through the FAQs and, uh, you know, try and read it and find it in there. And it's like, this is something I started doing in Widgetsmith and I now did in, uh, in Pedometer where I have this, you know, a bunch of these videos that are just, very basic. Like these aren't high production. I, I think initially when I think of video, I think of, oh, that's going to take a long time and be something that's really intense and like going to take, you know, this whole process. And it's like, it really doesn't have to, like it could, I could make these super, you know, glossy and fancy, but I have a bunch of videos that are basically, I do a screen recording in the simulator and then I do a quick voiceover and kind of some very basic editing to just kind of, you know, tighten up or, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, make sure that, you know, things are aligned correctly and, you know, edit, edit any mistakes or issues I have in the demo, but it's, you know, maybe I can do one of these videos that's, you know, it's a two minute video that it takes me, you know, four or five hours to make. Like it's not something where there's this massive, um, investment in time necessarily. And these are kind of almost another 20 times multiplier in terms of people's, you know, engagement with them and interest in, in viewing them, you know, so. You know, in the, in my, in the same numbers that I was saying for pedometer, you know, where I had, you know, 4,000 people read the FAQs, I had 80,000 people watch a video. Um, and, you know, which means that and now I'm set this place where it's like 20 times 20. Now I'm 400 times multiplier from my email, you know, volume in terms of people I'm able to reach to help to be able to, 
uh, work with. And it was something that it's like, I didn't really think about this, you know, video didn't cross my mind until it became an issue in Widgetsmith where I just needed ways to communicate better. And it turns out video is amazing for this, that I can do these quick videos. And it's like in the same way that I have for, you know, doing a dynamically updating uh, FAQ page, I have it set up that I can dynamically add videos to Widgetsmith or Pedometer. That it's like it's a little bit more complicated than just a basic HTML page. Like it could be a basic HTML page, but I you know I wrap it up a little bit nicer inside the app just because video playback I want to kind of you know give them a nice experience. But you know it's just a JSON file that I am hosting on a web server that happens to be driving the video player. Um and it's like that's been so much so well received and has such a you know, it's like the, 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 the effort I, the benefit I get from that is so dramatic that I would highly recommend, you know, it's like at an, at a basic web, web page with FAQs in it. I think it's a great idea. Do a couple of videos for kind of just basic high, high level walkthrough of your apps. And you'd be amazed at how many people will, you know, go through it, will watch it and then be happier as a result, you know? So even like, I think some of my most popular videos are things that are just like, you know, like Widgetsmith overview or pedometer plus plus overview. And it's just like, in two minutes, let me just show you kind of how at a high level how it works. And that seems to clear up a lot of misconceptions, you know, exposes people to different features that may be, you know, hard for them to discover or to know what to do with otherwise. Um, and it's just been super helpful. And I just like, these are super easy to host now. It's not like it's this big expensive thing that I'm dealing with even at, you know, at scale. Um, it's, you know, there's lots of easy ways to host video that aren't, you know, sort of crushingly expensive in a way that maybe, you know, 10 years ago, hosting video would have been, um, a very complicated, expensive process. So that's the other thing I would say, highly recommend, you know, it's another 20 times scaling that you can do for your reducing your support and providing, you know, immediate education to your, your users. That's a really great, I, like I never, I have such like an old school mindset with app development. Like, yeah, you know, you have built in help and it's all text and, you know, maybe, maybe you have an FAQ and like, that's it. I would never even thought to do video, but that like, you know, it's the kind of thing like you don't think of, but then when somebody like you does it, you're like, oh, oh, why didn't I think of that? And it makes, it makes so much sense. And it's really good to hear that it's that effective, you know, like I, I um, and and that it's you know now pretty cheap to host yourself. You don't have to like embed a YouTube thing or anything. You could put it behind you know Cloudflare or something, or you could just host the file yourself, and it's not going to be that expensive, you know. Um, but you know, it's like a long time ago um, on Core Intuition, Daniel Jalkett said something along the lines of that he does his own support um, in part because it when all the email and stuff comes to him for his apps over at Red Sweater Software, he sees that as like a metric to be optimized, and so he feels the pain of answering all those emails rather than like, you know, shuttling it off to some support answering service. He feels that pain himself. So that encourages him to design the app in such a way to need less support. And that's, that stuck with me. I mean, he he probably said that like eight or 10 years ago, but it stuck with me. And that's kind of how I've been doing Overcast this whole time. Um, You know, because I I tried different things with, with Instapaper. I had, you know, I had some support services. I didn't I didn't really have great experiences with any of them, frankly. Um, And and so now I'm just like, I just want this app to not need support. And I've designed the app as much as I can to do that. And it sounds like, you know, these strategies you're using are really taking that into the next level, like, you know, just really very well designing an app to not need support and to and doing a, a better and better job over time because this isn't something that you can just shuttle off to some answering service and have good outcomes because again like if you shuttle it off to some answering service then you know every one of those support things that first of all you aren't even seeing it anymore so you 
lose some degree of knowledge of what the problems in your app are. And then all those people who are not emailing support, they're just having failures of usage and they're and they're dropping off and everything. And so it's better for everyone. It's better, as I said earlier, like it's better for them and better for you if your app is designed in such a way to let people help themselves. And so I, I love that you've that you've you know plowed forward in this area and and broken new ground that a lot of indies like me who are a little you know old school in our thinking process would not have thought of. Um, and so that's that's really cool. And and I, I like. You know, especially I think it's worth calling out what you said about you know the video not having to be really perfect or very high production value because video is such a, an endless pit of possible production value that you could do to make it nicer and it just gets so complicated and time consuming and expensive you know and it's diminishing returns like and so it's it helps to know like you know what that really doesn't matter that much so if you just make a screen recording with a quick voiceover that's enough and people are people are being helped and you're keeping them in your app and and you know they're they're doing what they want to do and they're not emailing you and they're not falling off so that's that's a success yeah. And I think the other thing too, probably worth place to close is the understanding that I think there is some value in what Daniel was saying there about like kind of support driven development that in terms of optimizing that as a value. But I think the danger in that, and this is the thing that I fell into myself often is the, the, the proportion of people who will email you is very relatively low compared to your actual user base that like in my case i do the math for like pedometer plus plus and it's like the number of people who email me is 0.5 percent of active users <laughs> and it's like that is not representative necessarily of the broader use case and typically is going to you know it's going to on either end of the spectrum it's the people who are very happy or the people who are very unhappy are going to email and it's like instead of optimizing for that 0.05 percent you know focus on optimizing for the 99.95 percent in the main middle part of the app and it's like finding plays places and ways that we can make their life better with things like, you know, help videos, FAQs, being thoughtful in our design. That's where we get the real impact and the broader thing. And it's like optimize for that. And I think you're in a much, much sort of better and more sustainable place at any scale. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to talk to you in two weeks. Bye.